Wear Red Friday here on the EP Podcast. Hey, I'm Austin Horton. Thanks for tuning in. Lots to get to before we close out the weekdays. Worth of the uh, EP Podcast here. It's May 15th, 2020, episode 29. Almost there, almost 30. Monday will be our 30th episode for a Military Monday. Cannot wait. As I mentioned, it's a Wear Red Friday today. Red stands for Remember Everyone Deployed. Throw on something red on Fridays and join me in celebrating and paying tribute and honoring those who are uh, deployed uh, here in our country, uh, elsewhere, fighting the the good fight for freedom. All right, like I said, we got a lot to get to. A funny, hilarious story from Antoine Carr we're going to touch on. Some news out of the Utah men's basketball program. A former teammate of Michael Jordan is unhappy with how he has been portrayed in the Last Dance docuseries. A national TV broadcaster says prepare yourselves for artificial noise. And George Niang stopped by the Hanson Scotty show and shared a couple insights on uh, the current situation there at the practice facilities as things try to resume some form of normalcy. We'll get to that and so much more today. But as always, we start each and every episode off with a This Day in Sports History update. May 15, 1912, Detroit Tigers center fielder Ty Cobb went into the stands in New York's Hilltop Park to beat up a fan who was uh, named Claude Lucker, who had been heckling him during the game as the Tigers were in town taking on the then New York Highlanders, later the New York Yankees. Players fighting the crowd was not uh, unheard of back then, but it was uh, still frowned upon, and Ty Cobb served a a suspension. uh, I don't remember how many games he was suspended, but he he was suspended for fighting the fan. And if I'm not mistaken, the fan only had one arm and two fingers. And here Ty Cobb goes into the stands and beats the crap out of him. Ty Cobb, great baseball player, not a good guy. And then secondly, uh, New York Yankees center fielder, May 15th, 1941, Joe DiMaggio hits a single off of Chicago White Sox pitcher Eddie Smith, albeit in a 13-1 loss at Yankee Stadium. Why in a 13-1 loss was a single that meant really nothing that important? Because that was the first of his 56-game hitting streak. Started today, May 15th in 1941. There you go. A couple of events from the past in this day in sports history. Today's birthdays include former NFL wide receiver Rod Smith, former Heisman Trophy winner Desmond Howard, John Smoltz, pitcher for the Atlanta Braves and won the Cy Young in 1996, and our good friend Tim Lacombe. You know him, you love him. Former assistant coach at BYU, rather, in men's basketball. Now a radio analyst for us here on the Zone Sports Network. So there you go. This day in sports history, May 15th. Let's dive into what George Nyang had to say when he joined Hanson Scotty G on Thursday's edition of their show. George Nyang uh, having a somewhat of a, not too much of a step back season this time around, but it wasn't as uh, grand as as maybe some people had expected his season to be, uh, and that's that's because his expe- the expectations on George Nyang are too high, if you feel that way, in my opinion. George Nyang's a fine player, a fine role player, a fine piece off the bench, comes in, does not is not a liability on defense, is tough, does, uh, but his effort is 100% all the time, and knocks down some threes here and there. That's all you need from George Nyang, and he's done that for the most part this season. But he's always a good interview, always a fan favorite, 
and always a good guy. And I wanted to share some of the insights he shared with Hanson Scotty G as uh, things resume over at Zions Bank Basketball Campus, albeit in a uh, soft opening type fashion. And that's where we'll start with George Niang's comments is just how different are things over at the practice facility right now with all the uh, protocols in place with COVID-19 protections? Uh, honestly, we have a really good chef. I was just looking forward to taking home his meal. No, it's a weird situation, right? So you, it's a new norm, like for us. So you walk in or you drive in, got to have a mask. Doors are open. You, I mean, they're not letting us touch any keypads. There's someone with like, you know, a remote that opens everything. You get in, there's like an iPad that checks your, you know, uh, body temperature. Then once you get that past that checkpoint, you have a person who has a mask and gloves on that checks your temperature. And by then they have an, uh, a link that's sent to your phone where you're supposed to say before you get in the building, if you have any symptoms, if you come in contact with anybody that's had COVID, you take your temperature at home. And uh, then as that person is done taking your temperature, you, you know, Clorox wipe your phone and keys and wallet. Um, your mask is already on and you walk to a station that you're supposed to be at, whether that's getting treatment or, you know, lifting weights or being on the court. And it's kind of crazy, you know, that, you know, all this has to be done, but, you know, the NBA and the jazz are doing a really good job of taking precautionary you know measures to make sure that, you know, we're being as safe as possible, especially in an environment that, you know, we're the only ones walking into. Sounds like a lot. Uh, it should be a lot. There should be a lot of uh, precaution being taken. Uh, precautions, I should say, because you don't want to be the team that uh, is lax in an area or two, and then you pop positive. Uh, if someone pops positive in your organization, you want to be able to show that you did all you possibly could before letting people back into the buildings. All right, second thought here from uh, George Niang. He wonders if this is going to be the new normal, if we're always going to be sitting here with these type of protocols going forward. You know, if we're just being honest, like I think we're going to play, I, I really do. And I hope you know, when I, when I go through this on a daily basis, it's only been four days uh, that I've been in the facility. It, it, it makes you wonder and hope that, you know, this isn't the new normal. Like, I, I go back to thinking, I mean, this is probably extreme, but like, you know, when Magic Johnson had, had HIV and people started taking care of cuts with, you know, gloves on. I, I mean, that's not as extreme because coronavirus is different, but like, now everybody doesn't mess when it comes to blood or cuts or yeah. anything like that. And you wonder, are coaches going to be coaching on the sideline in goggles and a mask until we figure out what the deal is? Because, you know, obviously there are, is an older population that's in the NBA and are huge, you know, parts of organizations. So where do you go from here? Um, so you just want to take every precautionary measure going forward. Um, but the best part of just being able to get to the facility, it just gives you that sense of, I don't want to say calmness, but just the opportunity to somewhat get back into your routine because riding a bike in your house gets pretty old and my, my backside is a, a little sore from sitting on the same seat for two months. I understand. I do. I, I understand where George is coming from on that. Uh, this is an unprecedented moment in the world, let alone in sports and the NBA like it was with, uh, as he mentioned, Magic Johnson uh, having HIV. And that changed protocols, that changed practices for the better. 
and not that uh, you know, not that Mike Magic Johnson was going to uh, necessarily infect anybody on the court, but bloodborne pathogens are dangerous, uh, regardless of uh, what what uh, you might you may or may not know about your own health. And so, wearing gloves and protecting yourself that way is just common sense, and that changed then. Now, that's a small thing where everyone has to wear gloves and get the blood cleaned off their jersey and on and on and on. These are bigger uh, delays in protocols and procedures that are being put in place here for COVID-19 protections. And I'm with George on that. I, I could see why someone might wonder if that's the new normal. I think the new normal is for now. I think that it can change. It's changing from what it was to this. Why can't it change from this to something else later? Once we have a vaccine, however long that is, or once we have antiviral medication really nailed down, or once we absolutely have 100% knowledge of what this virus is about, things will change. And the new normal will change again to a different new normal. So for now, yeah, it's a lot. There's a lot you have to go through and a lot of questions and uncertainty, but we just got to keep our heads down, go through these protocols, wear a mask sorry, and just continue on until we know uh, more about this and can change to yet another new normal. All right. George was asked by Hanson Scotty, when he got in the gym, was he uh, surprised by how far back uh, his his shooting had taken a, a step? Let me tell you this. The person who was rebounding for me, they definitely got their uh, week's workout. <laughs> I was like, is there a wind in here? Why is the ball keep going left? Yeah, the sun got in my eyes. I don't know what happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Coach, yeah, no, Co- Coach Jensen scrambling half court to try to get a rebound and find it back at you. Yeah, and, and he think about him is uh, he hasn't done anything in two months, so he's moving real slow. <laughs> I was like, God, God, Jensen, it, it was. Uh, we've been here for thirty minutes, and I've only gotten twenty shots up. Can you hurry it up? George, with some little uh, a little self-deprecating humor there, and at the expense of Coach Alex Jensen. But uh, George, look, I'm sure we, he probably uh, in practice an NBA player. Misses a shot in practice, especially when they're on their own. They think, "What the what the crud?" Even if it's like in and out, that's the end of the world. I make a, I, I go one of twelve, and I'm like, "Aha! I can play in the NBA." So it's relative. I'm sure he was not abysmal. He's just having a little fun there. Uh, but obviously, everyone needs to get back in the gym. It is something that can leave you quickly. I remember well back in the day when I would play basketball three to five times a week. I was pretty good. Uh, I, I still didn't make any varsity teams or anything like that, but I was always that last day of cuts. I was always that last round uh, all throughout college. I, I, I We just had Jonathan Tavernari on uh, the big show on Thursday, and funny little quick side note with him is I beat him one-on-one uh, in college once <laughs> down in Provo. Uh, and so now there's a, there's a story behind that where he didn't – it wasn't like I, I took him off the dribble or anything. It was the best to – First to three by twos and ones. I got the ball first, launched a three, which was worth two points. It went in. He got the ball. He scored. He checked the ball back to me. I launched it again. It went in. So it's not. But anyway, that st- what my point, though, is my, my shooting stroke was pretty uh, money back then. If I got on, out on a court right now and took a couple shots, I'll bet I would make two of 15 because it's, I'm so out of practice. Just don't have the, uh, the time or access to a basketball hoop like I used to have when I was in college and high school. Well, it's got to be the same. 
even though these guys are professionals and they've shot millions of more shots than I'll ever shoot in my lifetime, it's still, that muscle memory's got to be built back up. I don't think George was probably as bad as he's making himself sound, but I bet every single NBA player from the best of the best Steph Curry to the, the last guy on the bench needs to get some shots up and get more comfortable uh, back out on the court shooting the ball before they're uh, able to uh, be back ready to play. All right, fourth thought from George Nying here. Scotty said, well, it sounds like, George, you, you are interested in finishing the season. Here was his response. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think everybody's up there with, you know, wanting to finish our season. I just think the the toughest part is you realize, yeah, you're going to be okay and you're going to be healthy. And then when someone starts mentioning how it affects others around you or your loved ones or the elderly or people with underlying health conditions, that's when you start to put your own agenda aside and, and wonder, is this the best thing for our country, for our community? But, you know, also you think of the people that, you know, I feel like America needs sports, you yeah. know, America needs entertainment just for their mental well-being and if you know the NBA could lead that resurgency that would that would mean a lot you know I think the game has a huge impact and if we can continue to impact the world positively positively you know with you know stressing the fact that you know be healthy protect yourself uh, wash your hands um, take care of others and still be able to play I think we should get out there and do it uh, but if it's my gut feeling and I had a gun to my head I would say that you know we're gonna have a, we're going to finish the season and 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 that's going to happen. Look, folks, the season's going to finish. They're going to get it done. They're going to find a way to wrap this thing up. There's just too much on the line not to. Uh, and with the you know here in this state moving to yellow, great sign that the things are going to be able to uh, get going again. And that means that the the readiness and availability of tests is there. Now it's a matter of the NBA making sure no one else is in need of a test before they start using thousands of them a day, uh, like they are prepared to do. Uh, they just need to, for the, the optics of the whole thing, has to be lined up before they return to play. But it's going to happen uh, probably by the end of June, I'm thinking, if not the first part of July, we'll see a resumption of play by the NBA. Scotty Pippen, not looking too good in the Last Dance docuseries. Uh, they've... Uh, you had him on the, the entire uh, time doing interviews on camera and talking about his time with the Bulls and Michael Jordan and all the drama that went down. And it definitely has not been slanted in favor of Scottie Pippen's viewpoint. And this, uh, according to Yahoo Sports, has upset Scottie Pippen. Scottie Pippen is reportedly unhappy about how he's looked. He says he, he's looked uh, been, been portrayed as selfish, frustrated, and underpaid. In episode two of the series, Pippen admitted to delaying surgery, which caused him to miss half of the 97-98 season. Uh, and uh, during episode seven, Pippen was prominently featured as he attempted to step up and lead the Bulls without Jordan, who made the switch to baseball in 93. And of course, you saw that he refused to enter a game because he was going to have to pass the ball in rather than take the, the last shot. Uh, and then he said he was asked if he would have changed that. He said, no, I, I wouldn't have changed it. If I had a chance to do it over again, I probably wouldn't change it. Uh, although he wishes it never happened. Anyway, he's been upset with how he's been edited. His comments have been edited and spliced together to portray him in not as great a light as Michael Jordan has been portrayed. But hey, this is the only person that's going to look good in this is Michael Jordan because it's a Michael Jordan production. 
And before we close the books on the Scottie Pippen topic here, there's a terrific uh, written history of the moment that he whispered in Karl Malone's ear, the mailman doesn't deliver on Sundays, which then led to Karl Malone missing two free throws in Chicago. Brad Rock is quoted a few times, said, hey, he makes one of those free throws. Maybe NBA history looks a little different. It is a painful read for jazz fans who are still smarting from those finals years and what could have been. But it's an interesting, fascinating read. Uh, and there's one quote that uh, Jake Hatch actually brought this to my attention. Antoine Carr had a terrific, funny story that he told. He said, one thing I did enjoy about playing the Bulls that was different was the city of Chicago was always trying to do something. You'd be in your hotel room the night before finals game in Chicago, and all of a sudden a Playboy mo- uh, bunny model would show up at your door with a cake. That happened to me more than once. They show up in a trench coat, and when they get to you, Present you, they get to present you the cake. The coat comes off and is welcome to Chicago. But if you're a young man and all you can think of the night before the finals is a beautiful girl, now that's gonna throw you all the way off. Hey, it didn't work on me. It was good cake, though, says Antoine Carr, the big dog, my favorite jazz player of all time. Antoine Carr, woo woo, right there with a hilarious, interesting, never before heard by these ears story about playing the Bulls in the finals in Chicago. <laughs> Jake uh, Jake Scott and Gordon Monson had a big problem with the idea that I'm about to uh, share with you here. Joe Buck, national TV play-by-play man, says networks plan on using virtual fans and sounds for the TV broadcast of sports when they return. Uh, He told uh, Bryant Gumbel of HBO's Real Sports that this was the plan. He said, I think they'll do it. In fact, I know they'll do it. It's pretty much a done deal. I think whoever's going to be at the control is going to have to be really good at their job and be realistic with how a crowd would react depending on what just happened on the field. They're looking at ways to put virtual fans in the stands so when you see a wide shot, it looks like the stadium is jam-packed and, in fact, it will be empty. Close quote. Uh, okay. it's uh, <laughs> Jake's and uh, Gordon's contentions were that it's fake, it's uh, disingenuous, it doesn't matter, Uh, And I agree with them. I think uh, there was a four or five years ago, in fact, it was five years ago now, when the Orioles and the White Sox had to play a game in Camden Yards without fans due to the uh, rioting against uh, police brutality in uh, the streets of Baltimore. And it was weird for about the first 10, 15 minutes of the game. Then you settled in and you got used to it. And I think that would be the case. They didn't pipe in crowd noise. They didn't have CGI fans in the stands. None of that. And it was just, it was a fine broadcast. It was kind of funny, actually. If they do it over the top, if they try to, uh, so I agree with Jake and Gordon in this way, I should say. It's fake, it's disingenuous, and it's unnecessary to CGI fans into the stands and pipe in crowd noise to the TV broadcast. But it doesn't really matter to me. I'll be honest, I half the time I mute the TV anyway, unless, it's, unless I'm watching the jazz games with Bowler. Uh, on the call. I, I just, I don't really listen to uh, play-by-play or uh, analysts unless it's on the radio or, like I said, the jazz broadcast. I'm not interested. I'm interested in the game. Or I have too many things going on around me anyway to, to even hear what's going on. I'm just watching. So it's not that big of a deal to me. Uh, I'm sure the idea here is that the casual observer will still stay locked in to the TV broadcast of the sport. Rather than, wow, this is boring, there's no sound, there's no crowd, I'm going to move on to uh, The Bachelor or whatever they've got on the DVR. So, not the end of the world. Is it hokey? Yes. Cheesy? Absolutely. Needed? No. 
but it's really not that big of a deal to me if they do this on the television broadcast. Now, if they start piping in sound into the stadium and, and such things like that, then it's altering the game, and I might have a problem with that. Well, depending on the sport, I think we need more sound in golf. But anyway, that's just me. Bit of baseball news that uh, has to do with the state of Utah. Rod Manfred, commissioner of MLB, said during a CNN town hall interview with Anderson Cooper and Dr. Sanjay Gupta that uh, Major League Baseball has uh, employed a use of a lab here in Utah uh, that, that has, quote, historically done our minor league drug testing. We paid, made an investment to convert them over to do the testing that we need in order to play now. We have an established set of healthcare professionals that have done collections for a drug testing that we'll use for the same purpose. The lab in Utah has assured us of a 24-hour turnaround on all our tests. So we feel comfortable that by doing multiple tests a week and trying to minimize the turnaround time, we're doing everything humanly possible to make sure that the players are safe, close quote. Uh, There has not been any comment made as to exactly which lab... That is just a plain out of the in the dark guess by me is ARUP uh, probably has something to do with that up at the University of Utah. But interesting that the uh, the COVID tests that the Major League Baseball plans on uh, being relying on really to make sure that their season can continue and start at the first of July, it'll be coming through a, a lab right here in the state of Utah. Kind of interesting. The University of Utah men's basketball program has uh, more than half a dozen transfers in the last year, uh, and you can add uh, the, the the big man both Gak to to that list. And I'm I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing his name; it's a tough one to say. But he uh, had he had thrown his name into the evaluation stage for the NBA draft, and is awaiting word on that. But he told national basketball writer Jeff Goodman that he plans on transferring from the University of Utah, even if he, uh, unless he stays in the draft. If he takes his name out of the draft, he says he's going to transfer. So you've seen the last of uh, both Gak at uh, the University of Utah. What what is going on? Well, that's what a lot of people are asking. I got a little bit of an answer about a year ago from a source that uh, knew a, a, a coach on that staff up there. A former coach, and uh, the former coach told my source that it is it's what you would think. It's that Larry Kraskoviak is very hard nosed, very old school, very in your face, very uh, dramatic, and yells and screams and is demanding and wants perfection. And you're never good enough for Larry Kraskoviak, and that's the way he wants you to feel uh, about him and, and about you. And he wants you to know that you are his soldier and he is the general and you're going to do everything he wants and, and demands that you do. And so this, this uh, former coach had to then be the buffer between Larry and the players, and he got sick of it. He got sick and tired of having to deal with that every single day, and he left. And so, uh, and by the way, it's not it's not maybe the coach you, you might think it would be. But anyway, uh, I would assume that uh, it was a similar situation for all the coaches up there that have left. So and it, it, it's, it's a matter of debate between is Larry Kraskoviak a good enough basketball coach to where he can get the recruits in there and they can withstand his uh, berating, or does he need to soften his delivery and his approach to a new, different generation of player than he grew up around and he was part of in order to keep them in, in the program? 
he makes a ton of money, Larry Kraskoviak. And if the Utes cut away from him, they'd still owe him a ton of money. In fact, he's the 11th highest paid coach in college basketball, in men's college basketball in the country. 11th at $3.57 million a season. Uh, and they would have to uh, owe him the rest of his contract uh, if that if it ends, if that becomes a decision they want to make. By the way, his record at Utah is not extremely glowing. Uh, let's see. Since being the head, becoming the head coach for the 2011 and 12 season, the Utes have gone 171 and 126 for a winning percentage of 57. Uh, percent They have not made a postseason tournament since 2018, 2017-18 season when they were the NIT runner-up. The last time they made the big dance was the 2015-16 season. So it has been a long time since the University of Utah has gone to the big dance. And uh, so again, I ask, is Larry Kraskoviak a good enough basketball coach that he can rule with an iron fist? Or does he need to slow his roll a bit, uh, adapt to a different generation of player than he might be used to or maybe even like in order to keep them in the program and have the success I think he could have? Because I do think he's a smart, good basketball mind. But now he needs to be a better basketball coach, if that makes any sense at all. All right, and then finally, this bit of news. This also coming from the University of Utah in regards to college football's plans. Athletic director Mark Harlan uh, was part of a, 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 a symposium today at the University of Utah talking about when will sports return. Uh, he the, it was, was moderated by former Governor Levitt. Uh, included uh, Mark Harlan and State Superintendent of Schools, Sidney Dixon. And some of the quotes coming from Mark Harlan out of this uh, availability are interesting. He said, we, are really, we really are planning in all regards to be able to stage football. We understand not only in the state of Utah, but also in this country, the place that college football has. Passion reigns in that sport, and we see that time and time again. We certainly are planning and preparing for that, and that is ongoing. The first step in all of that, of course, is getting our student athletes back on campus, not only at the University of Utah, but elsewhere, and really trying to figure out how many weeks does a young man need to be prepared to come back for a football game. He closed with the national standard right now is settling in around six weeks. You look at that first week in September and you go back six weeks, and that's really the timeline that we're looking at. All right, so let's do that. Let's go back six weeks from the first week of September. We're talking the third week of July. Uh, technically, the, the the fourth week of July. July starts on a Wednesday, uh, but anyway, the the it'd be the uh, week of Monday, the twentieth of July would be six weeks ahead of Tuesday, the first of September. And so there you go. We're we're aiming for that, says Mark Harlan, and that's good news. That's a good sign. But like you'll hear later on the big show today, Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated, he and Pat Forty have a piece in Sports Illustrated where they talk to 10 commissioners and athletic director for Notre Dame, Jack Swarbrick, and it's all, it's messy. Every single one of them. Now for the laugh of the day. <laughs> My buddy was telling me about that movie, The Revenant. I haven't seen it. I might. I just didn't agree uh, with his reason for encouraging me to watch the film. He's like, you got to see it. Leonardo DiCaprio finally won the Oscar for that film. And it's a good thing he won the Oscar because he worked so hard on that movie. And that's where I disagree. 
My friend said it's a good thing he won that Oscar because he worked so hard on that movie. They shot it for nine months in the blistering cold of Canada. He walked through those rivers himself. He lost 35 pounds during those nine months. Isn't that amazing? And I said, if you think that's amazing, you severely underestimate what I would do for $20 million. <laughs> person in this room who wouldn't do everything that he did for that amount of money, right? If he acted well, give him the Oscar for that, but not just because he worked for almost a year. $20 million, he lost 35 pounds? I would get down to 35 pounds. 